Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. What do you do if your spouse cheats and then wants to put the marriage back together again? Maybe because of the fact that you ask, let's put the marriage back together again and they feel badly about what they did and it's like, okay, let's give it a shot. Or maybe they came to you and said, I'm so very sorry about what I did. Let's see if we can salvage this thing. Either way, the same problem is going to exist if your spouse has been unfaithful to you and that's this, can you trust them again? This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International. Please follow and subscribe to this podcast, hosted by renowned marriage and relationship expert, Dr. Joe Beam, and the CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Holmes. We answer your questions directly with research-based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. If you have a relationship question, follow the link in the description to see which topic is up for discussion this week. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Let's talk about that. We have several callers asking questions about that that we'll be responding to in just a couple of moments. I'm Dr. Joe Beam with MH International, along with our CEO, our mighty leader, Kimberly Holmes, who is right there. Kimberly, what kind of thing do you think that people are thinking when they're asking themselves, can I trust him or can I trust her again? One of the biggest things I believe people are thinking is, more of a protective mindset of, is this going to happen again? And how can I make sure that it doesn't? And that's a very human nature part of us. I mean, a very primal part. We want to protect ourselves and make sure we don't experience the same hurts that we've gone through again. But what makes it difficult is that we can't control our spouse or what they do or how they act. And so when we're trying to learn to trust, what we're really trying to do is is figure out How can I make sure that this marriage is protected and that I'm not going to get hurt again? Hmm. I think that's it. I think that's absolutely the gist of it. And and when you look at that, it's always about, "Mm, but he lied or she lied. Well, we hear that every time. And sometimes people will actually say it this way. I think the thing that hurts most was how much he or she lied. And and I believed some of that. And then when I realized it was a lie and began to confront, they denied it and tried to make me think I was the one who was crazy or something like that. And so it's the lying. Now, since he or she lied so effectively or so consistently before, how can I know that they're not lying now? Usually I reply to that, what did you expect them to do? No, I'm not justifying their lying. I'm not justifying their affair. Everything they did was wrong in that situation. But what else did you expect them to do? I mean, if somebody is doing something they know is wrong, this in violation of the marriage that they have with you, while they're doing that, do you think they are thinking, well, I just need to go tell my spouse right away what's up? Now, believe it or not, there are actually some people who do that. But it's exceptionally rare. Because most of the time, they know what they're doing is wrong. They feel it inside of themselves. And so they try to hide it. 
And when they try to hide it, that means they have to lie, lie about where they are, lie about where they've been, lie about what kind of money was spent and why it was spent that way. Lie when they're actually confronted about things like, well, what about this? What about that? And they come up with the weirdest excuses. And if <laughs> if they can't come up with an excuse. They make you think that you're the one who who is nuts. Like, wow, I mean, are you just missing some time here? I mean, what's wrong? And sometimes, sometimes we'll even say, "Mm, this woman that you're suspicious of is actually very much on your side. She's your friend. She wants our marriage to make it. All kinds of things like that. And so, Kimberly, when people have been so effective at lying and so consistent at lying, is there a way to ever trust them again? There is a way to trust them again. It's not easy, it's not quick, but it has to be built over time or rebuilt over time. Because of just what I was saying a minute ago, when you realize that someone that you have trusted and you even trusted their lies, but now you've found out that they were lies, then there's that part of you, even that part of your brain that now is, is more aware of all of these cues that, that could show that the person is lying. And so part of it is, is kind of overriding that, which can only really be done with experience, with more interactions of showing that of that person showing that they can be trusted again. But it also at some point becomes a decision on my part. So if, if it were I in this situation, it would eventually have to be me saying, I'm going to choose to trust at this time. And even if I don't feel it, not not chasing those feelings of fear and worry that a lie is happening, but instead following the belief that he's telling the truth now. And that's just what I'm going to go with until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty simple, but that's extremely difficult to do, don't you think? Yes, because you're overriding hardwired emotional and neurological responses. So yes, it is difficult, but over time it becomes easier. It's more difficult at first. But aren't you assuming that the person who cheated is now actually committed to being faithful? That's what they're questioning part of is is he really committed to be faithful? Is she really committed to be faithful? So what you said is extremely powerful and very much on cue. If If you really believe the other person is committed, but sometimes that's part of the problem. It's like he says he is, Mm. but how do I know that he really is? Mm -hmm. Isn't that part of it? Yeah, that's a huge part of it. I mean, to rebuild trust, there has to be an agreement of reconciliation and moving past the thing that caused distrust in order for trust to really be rebuilt. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think we can explain that even better as we go through some of these phone calls. So let's go to this first call and and listen to this lady who talks about the fact that her husband had been involved in an 11 year long affair before she was, uh, I guess, able to catch him or know for a fact that that's really what he was doing. And she's talking about trust. So let's listen to her question and reply to her. I would like to know. Um, how building and regaining trust is different after an 11-year affair versus a shorter length affair, or in your opinion, isn't it any different? Um, Would there be different or additional steps that should be taken to reestablish trust? Do you think it can be done without coaching and or professional help? After living in a lie and being lied to for 11 years, I can't imagine ever really trusting him again. Do you think it's even possible? 
And I just want to say thank you for taking our questions and thank you um, for all you do. I really appreciate um, all your organization does. Thank you. Well, thank you for those kind words. And I am so very sorry for the pain that you have to be experiencing after you discover an 11-year affair. There were actually, Kimberly, several different parts of that question. One was, is it different if it's a, like a short-lived affair, relatively short, or 11 years? Is there a difference to that? And there is, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Can we get past it without professional help? That was another question that she asked. Okay. And then she said, I can't imagine being able to believe him again because of the fact that it went on for 11 years like that. In other words, if I can be deceived that long, I must not be very good at interpreting whether he's telling me the truth or not. So at least those three questions in there. And again, thank you for saying the nice things that you said about us. Now, let me just speak to that first part about the difference in 11 year long affair as opposed to a different one. You understand that when we talk about affairs, we talk about affairs typically in three different categories. One is what we call a short-lived affair, and a short-lived affair is the proverbial one-night stand, although it can actually last a couple of years, believe it or not. But the thing about that particular kind of affair is that there's not a strong emotional connection to the other person, that in a connection that they have is primarily sexual, not, not really emotional sexual. We all talk talk about the allowed affair, and that's when people do like what they used to call wife swapping and swinging and the lifestyle, open marriage, that kind of thing, which is not relevant here at all. And then the other kind of affair we talk about is the relationship affair, where they, they really develop a very strong relationship, and that relationship keeps them together for a long period of time. Now, it might appear that an 11 year long affair was a very deep relationship affair. Yet, it would bring up these kinds of questions. Why did not he leave you? If that kind of strong emotional connection was occurring with this other person, why did she not insist that he divorce you and come be with her? And if she were married, why did she not divorce her husband to come be with your husband? And why did your husband keep coming home and all those kinds of things, even though he was lying? And so while it could have been a very long-term relationship affair, the odds are not in favor of that. Now, obviously, we don't know your husband, and I can't tell you exactly what it was. But there's one that we don't ever talk about, Kimberly, which is really a fourth kind of affair. Actually, it should be a subheading to the first kind of affair, the short-lived affair, but it's a longer version of the short-lived affair. And that's what I personally refer to sometimes as the uh, the fantasy affair. Now, that's not a technical term. It's just one that I use. And it's basically like this. There's some need I'm getting fulfilled out there. And usually it has to do with sexuality. Like uh, one lady that was talking to me about her husband and, and how he, uh, this other woman was married in that particular situation, but they would go off and, and do these sexual vacations. They would go do this thing, which was highly sexual, that thing. And that had gone on for 10 years. Now, do you think he's in limerence with her? And my response was, that doesn't sound like limerence to me. By the way, if you don't know what we teach about limerence, you can find it on our YouTube videos that Kimberly will tell you about just in a moment. I said, I don't, it doesn't sound like limerence to me. I don't think it's a very deep, close relationship emotionally. I think it's basically a short-lived affair that has extended into a long period of time because there's some kind of thing being fulfilled, a, a thrill of some kind, uh, some kind of a backstory going on that we don't really understand. And the reason I call that a fantasy affair is because of the fact that they want to maintain real life. I want to come mm -hmm. home to you. 
I want to be with you. I want to be with my children. If you have children, I want this thing to exist and last. And that's why over 11 years, they don't live. Uh, they don't leave. I should say it's because of the fact that there's, it's a fantasy that they're fulfilling in some fashion, either about the sex or about something else having to do with it. Uh, some other fantasy like, Oh, well, look how attractive I am or look how wonderful, like some kind of fantasy tied to that. And so it's probably a lot different than a limerent affair. Of course, again, I can't tell you for sure. I don't know your husband. In that case, whatever it was he was seeking and being fulfilled by, to at least to some degree where he continued for 11 years, is that different than the other kind of affairs we normally deal with? And the answer is yes. Then you ask the question, well, then could we still get past that? And the answer is yes, if and and Kimberly, I'll quit rambling here in a second. And that if would have a lot to do with whether he could recognize what it was that was drawing him to that. Now, if he says it's 11 year long liberance, liberance typically doesn't last any more than four years. And that's at the outside. He's probably going to say something about it did something for me. And so can he get along without professional help when it comes to this? The answer is probably not. Now, can people get past things without professional help? Sure, they can. But in a situation like this, where something he's been going after for 11 years, if you want to be able to trust him again, you probably want some kind of assurance that whatever that thing was he was going after, he now understands and won't be chasing anymore. And so in that sense, I would think that probably this guy does need some professional therapy of which you need to be a part not that you'd be at every session, but you'd be a part of that so that you can understand what's going on. Kimberly, you think um, we all track with that or is that somewhere close to right? Right on track. She already mentioned at the end of her call that she didn't know how she could trust him again. And so I would highly recommend they get professional help. Now, the asterisk here is finding the right professional help. Because the last thing you want to do, especially for, for someone in her, even just her shoes right now, thinking about how she's kind of wavering and waffling, the last thing she needs to hear is from someone who's just never experienced this before, before as a professional and therefore is just going to say, hmm, seems like maybe you should divorce if he's been having an 11 year long affair, because it could definitely be overcome and moved forward from and the relationship made better. But you need to find someone who knows how to handle it. Now, I mean, he needs to work through his stuff, but she needs to work through hers and learning how to, how to trust him again. And And finding someone who's Mm -hmm. pro-marriage will help with that. I wouldn't try and tackle this alone. It's too big of a mountain to try and even figure out how to begin climbing. I think you're right. And and in other things, uh, as you said, she'll need some help too, like her own self-confidence. Yeah. Like, am am I not, good enough, attractive enough, wonderful enough, whatever it might be. Am I not lovely and lovable? That kind of thing. And then understanding what he did and even making your decision as to whether you want to go forward or not, because obviously if you choose to, you can divorce him. And as Kimberly said, that's too often the quick result. And unfortunately, many people who include marriage counselors and therapists, even ones who claim to be religious marriage counselors and therapists, will often say, well, that's just the easiest way. That's what you need to do. And that's what Kimberly's warning you against. We would recommend that if you're going to go to a professional therapist or counselor, that that you call ahead of time. First of all, ask your friends. (laughs) And then when you call, this is the question I would ask. 
Uh, I would first of all ask, you know, can I have five minutes on the phone with them to see if we want to book a time to come? And if they say no, then keep on moving. <laughs> Find somebody who will give you five minutes on the phone up front and ask this question. Will you see me as the client, my husband as a client or the marriage as the client? Because we're looking for someone who would see the marriage as a client. Most counselors are not trained that way. And they're going to tell you right quick. I don't even know what that means. Keep moving. The, the counselors who have been trained that way and who are good at that are not going to be on his side. Your side is going to be he's going to be on the side of the both or he or she is going to be on the side of both of you. For example, I can't believe I'm thinking about a counselor we know down in North Alabama who is she is just amazing at this. You know, the marriage is the is the client. So, yes, that kind of thing can help. Can it be overcome? It can. But I'm strongly recommending that if you're going to rebuild trust in this situation, both of you, first with him, he's got to understand it first, but then you are going to have to understand what was the draw? What was the pull? And if you can understand that well enough and get some healing from that, then yes, you can have a good future together where you can learn to trust him again. But if he refuses to get the kind of help and just say, no, no, forget about it, let go, everything's fine. Might be kind of hard to pull this one off, wouldn't you think, Kimberly? There's no way you can just forget it and act like it didn't happen. Nothing will be made better. Everything will be made worse. And while our workshop that we do, we don't typically have this type of situation. I definitely believe that our workshop is helpful for getting a couple like this back on a path together, and it will help them to identify the best next steps for them in moving forward in conjunction even before they start going to therapy together or, or he starts going for his individual. I 100% believe the workshop is helpful for them in this situation. Yeah, because it'll help you open up communication in the areas that are tough to communicate about. Where they're mm -hmm. thinking, wow, he was so good. He could lie to me for 11 years and get away with it. <laughs> How could I ever know he's telling me the truth again? So the workshop will help you open communication up tremendously. Plus, there's a thing on the last day of the workshop we teach called the, the uh, uh, Exploring Reconciliation Unit, which is just unbelievably powerful, which says that you don't reconcile blindly. <laughs> you don't put it back together just by sweeping it on the rug, saying everything's going to be okay. We can make it. It's it's actually a step by step by step by step process that you do. And we teach you that in, in the last day of that workshop. And then if you want to pursue that, our coaches, if you want to pursue with one of our coaches who can help guide you through it step by step, can help you through that. Whether you choose us or not, please get help. You need help for this. And again, Please take our recommendations about how to find a counselor if you want to use a professional counselor other than through us. If you want us to help, we'd be glad to. We wish to. Um, as a matter of fact, Kimberly, would it be coming to our, is the best thing to do to just call our 800 number if they want to ask about what we do? Yeah, there's a lot of ways that people can contact us. You can go to MaritelFer.com and you can either chat with us on the website. You can also schedule a call to talk with one of our client relations representatives who will listen to your story and your situation and figure out which of our best resources best fits you. Or you can call our office at 866-903-0990. And that number will be popping up on the screen. If you're listening on a podcast, you can definitely find our contact information in the show notes and you can contact us there and we will get you scheduled to speak with someone about how we can help and the products and services we offer. So many ways 
to connect with us. We just talked about something that I wasn't really familiar with. People can actually just go to our website and schedule to talk to one of our people on the website, actually schedule a call. Yep. Well, I knew that we had some kind of scheduling. I didn't know how that worked. I didn't know they could just go to the website and do that. Yeah, I don't know much about what we do. It's just terrible. I'm <laughs> the time I am all the time. Plus, you can go to our YouTube channel. There's a lot of free information there. YouTube.com slash marriage helper, all one word. So, Kimberly, let's go to another call. And this one you really need to chime in on because you are a military wife. You know, Rob is now retired from the military, but uh, a captain in the United States Army. And we're very proud of Rob for many reasons, including that. Uh, but this is going to be from a military wife. And since you have experience with that, let's see what you have to say in response to her. I'm 34 years old. I'm a military wife. I've been married to my husband for almost four years, but we've been together for seven. We have a two-year-old. Uh, he deploys often, and as in the Army life, he's always gone. He hates talking on the phone, and he gets distance when he's deployed. Two weeks ago, I discovered he had a few sexual encounters with a woman when he was in Hawaii. After he came home, he kept in touch with her with 30 pictures and text messages for 10 months. We're trying to work it out, but I'm struggling because he's about to deploy again to Mongolia for six months. He says he won't do it again. We're doing counseling and we're trying to talk and communicate a little bit more. How can we stay close during deployments? I'm terrified that he's going to be leaving again and he will be lying to me and going out and partying the way he was doing it. When he was in Hawaii, I don't know if I can trust him. And, you know, knowing that he will stay faithful for six more months while he's gone. We have a home and two daughters to take care of. And as a military wife, I'm used to being alone. But this is really driving me insane. He terminated his relationship with this person. He did it right in front of me. He deleted her number, blocked her. Um but I'm still struggling to trust him. So can you please, please give me some input in this situation? So as a military wife and yeah. as a person who uh, works with these kinds of things all day, every day, what do you have to say to this young lady? The military life is a very difficult life to be a part of. And especially when there's constant deployments, because there's a couple of things happening. Number one, the separation. So there's never a consistency to your routine or the life that you two have together. It's constantly being disrupted and you're having to figure out a new normal every six to 12 months, hmm. which just in and of itself is stressful. The second thing that's stressful is that when your husband is deployed, he is in a high stress situation. So he is... Whether or not you feel like his job is stressful, the things that they are taught to think about just adds a, a constant layer of stress. The third thing to consider here is that the influences that he is around in the military most of the time are not good because there are the other people, the other service members who are stressed, all of the things going on in their life. And so they tend to take it out in ways that are not the healthiest. Like she said, there's a lot of partying. There's a lot of temptation. There's uh, a lot of ability to get away with these temptive behaviors. And so it runs rampant. It just does. And that is, I mean, the last time I saw 
which was about a decade ago. But the last time I saw research on the statistics of how many military marriages end in divorce was 85 percent, which is crazy. Something needs to be done there. Now, I say all of that to hopefully bring empathy to what your husband may be going through and how this could be happening. Now, the issue that this woman brings up is how do we how do we move past this? He did some good things. He deleted the woman's number off of his phone. He definitely made strides towards that. But as he's going off to another deployment, if he doesn't want to talk, if he's stressed while he's over there and that's affecting how much they're able to talk, that is a huge barrier that they need to talk about before he leaves. So if I'm listening to this, if I was talking to her, having coffee with her, I would say, first of all, have you asked him why? Why does he not like to talk on the phone when he's gone? Is it because of a time difference? Is it because of um, it's difficult to, to actually call you because of the service or the Wi-Fi? Is it because of the fact that he's stressed out? Or is it because when the two of you have talked in the past, that has stressed him out? So I would try and have a conversation to figure out what is what is that purpose? Because I don't see how you can go six months without having good communication if you're also wanting to rebuild trust. Okay, so let me make sure I'm hearing what you're saying here, that that one of the reasons that people in the military can have so much difficulty uh, is because. Because, like you said, they're always in a stressful situation. For example, your husband, Rob, was deployed in South Korea. I mean, there's a massive army just up the road apiece. Yeah. And, and you don't know when and if they're going to show up down here. Those yeah. kind of things. Uh, I recall speaking for the Air Force once in South Korea. I was doing some things on an Air Force base. And they were telling me how much stress there was for all of those airmen, not just the ones who flew the, the fighters and those kinds of things, but all of them because of that. Well, no matter where in the world you are, because of the things you're prepared for, even if you're in Hawaii. Yeah. Which we wouldn't think like, you know, it's not going to be invaded tomorrow. Well, they actually thought that once back in 1941 as well. And and so you look at this and go, there's always a possibility. And what I'm hearing you say is that the partying, mm-hmm. if it occurs, the drinking, if it occurs, even the, the being involved with other people you shouldn't be involved with, if it occurs, is, is often predicated or based on a stress relief. Is in other words, that's what generates that happening? I believe it opens the doorway for it. Yes. Kind of like that gateway, (laughs) a gateway drug, so to say, without it being a drug. But it definitely, I mean, look at it when things are fine in the world. I mean, if if a couple lives here in America, but it just experienced 2020, then we see this the same thing to be true. So stress does tend to, sometimes people will act in ways that they wouldn't normally act. But but especially it's confounded even more or amplified even more when they're around other people who are doing it and it becomes more of a temptation. Okay, All right. Very good. So it's not justifying. We're not trying to justify. You're trying to understand. So in that particular situation uh, here, I heard you say a couple of things I thought were really interesting. One is that, uh, okay, so in that deployment period, there really should be some conversations between the two of you, but you've got to make sure that you're not adding to the stress in those conversations. I thought that was extremely powerful. Could you elaborate just a little bit more about that? 
One of the things that she mentioned is that she's typically alone, which is very common for a military wife, and that she's raising two young daughters by herself. I have known other couples, especially when Rob was in the military before, that when their husbands would would leave, every time they would speak to them, they were telling them about problems, about issues, about how they wish that he was there. And not in a, oh, I miss you so much, I wish you were here, but in a, everything's gone to hell, our kids are losing their minds. This is your fault. Why aren't you here? If only, if only you, um, or, or especially even, uh, for enlisted members, there could be extra, extra pressure from their spouses to do more work in order to climb the rank quicker, which is just more pressure. And, but our enlisted members are very underpaid for, for their service. And so life is even more stressful for them because of, because there aren't quite as many finances. And so, and then the mom who's home with the kids doesn't have time to go get a job because she has to be the full-time parent because the husband is deployed. And so in that kind of situation, I would be, that would be the first thing I would go to with her when you, in the past, when you've talked on deployment, what have those conversations been like? And she probably doesn't even realize it because this is her husband. It's her best friend. It's who she goes to to vent. But when he is in just a world of stress, the last thing he needs to worry about on top of that is everything that's stressful at home. Okay. Now, please don't hear us uh, saying that it's your fault that he did what he did. That's not what you're saying at all. Not at all. So don't hear that. No, No, it's not your fault. Right now, we're just talking about how do you rebuild or build communication when he deploys again? not blaming fault. It was his choice and actions to do what he did, which was wrong. But looking forward, what can we do to make it better? Right. So Kimberly, would it be, um, if, if indeed he has the ability to do so, you know, like the facilities, the way to make the uh, communication occur, would we suggest to her that she says to him, we need to talk at least twice a week or once a week or whatever the case may be. And, and say, if, you know, to help rebuild trust. So that I can trust you, I really need to talk to you on this kind of pattern, assuming that he can do it wherever he's going to be deployed, that that this needs to happen. Will you do that for me so that I can feel safe and feel secure? And in those conversations, will you be open and transparent with me about what you feel? And then so would you say that that would be a reasonable thing for her to request of him or not? It would be reasonable. Now, the other thing to consider is he may have changing schedules when he's over there. Things are going to change. So again, this is another reason to have an open line of communication, but at least starting with a couple of times a week, ask him when is best for him, when he believes would be best for him and start doing that. Now, I will say it could be very helpful for them to have a list of fun questions to talk about when they are, it, it just in case they end up on the phone and she's saying, well, if I can't vent about how terrible the kids were at school today, then what am I supposed to say? It's great to have a list of questions of just uh, more, more than just how was your day, what's going on, which he may or may not be able to share, but hey, tell me about the best food you've eaten this week, or tell me about a time in your childhood when you went on a great family vacation and what that what that felt like and what that was like. And that allows you to have things to talk about that aren't going to be stressful, are going to really build that good foundation of communication with each other moving forward, and hopefully become something both of you look forward to 
every time you talk. And that's where we're trying to get to. How can you make it to where both of you want to talk to each other and are going to miss each other as you're separated? Okay, very good. So I hope you heard the, those, these points. Number one, we're not saying it's your fault. It was he made those decisions. Number two, that it's not your job to keep him faithful, but there are some things you can do to help maintain that level of trust that you want. And that, that's going to be based somehow on some regular kind of communication that is positive rather than negative. So Kimberly, her ultimate question was, I'm worried. I'm scared. He's about to leave. How am I going to do this? And so we're giving some suggestions about how to do it. These are not panaceas. They're not be all end all. They don't, this is not like the magic bullet, but this is the place to start, right? Because if you're regularly communicating openly with each other, no matter where you are, military or not, if you're regularly communicating with each other openly, then the likelihood of a person cheating decreases. It doesn't go to zero but it decreases, right? It does. And I will say that's part one. So part one is having the conversation with him, figuring out how you can communicate to move forward. The second thing is when he's gone, her mind is going to wander. Mm -hmm. It is going to worry. It is going to fear that what if it's happening again? We recommend you work on you. You can't control what he's doing while he's overseas. But what you can do is control what you're doing back here in the States to become the best that you can be. And at Marriage Helper, we call it the pies, the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual aspects of attraction. And when you begin to focus on becoming the best you can be in all four of those, number one, it's going to occupy your mind on something that's productive. Good. And then the second thing is that it will continue to attract your spouse back to you, which is just a secondary benefit here. But we have so much more information out there about the pies that you can find either on our YouTube channel, marriagehelper.com or youtube.com slash marriagehelper. Or if you're a podcast person like listening to this, be sure and go check out my podcast called It Starts With Attraction and listen to the first episode at least where it talks all about the pies. And then there's 50 plus episodes from there that talk about different ways that you can implement them every single week. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, uh, we're running out of time. Let's see if we can get to another caller or two before we run out. How do you trust someone when they continue to lie to you? I know my husband lies to me because often the facts as he presents them don't add up, or he later provides additional details that contradict what he has previously said. This leads me to question a lot of what he says and distrust him in other areas. He says he isn't having an affair, but given the lies about other things, I don't believe him. This isn't what has led to our marriage breakdown but where we currently are as a result of that breakdown. He tells me that I just need to trust him, but how can I do that when I know he's lying to me? Kimberly, did you notice the the cadence, uh, how this, this woman gave that question? It sounded to me, and, and by the way, this is not a negative. Please don't hear this as a negative or criticism, but it sounded as if she were reading that question, which means she probably thought it out in advance and wrote it down. You say, is that bad? No, that's not bad at all. But it probably indicates something about her personality, that this is a person who is very analytical, who thinks things through carefully, who double checks things. So rather than just ask extemporaneously, let me write my question and read it to you. And maybe she didn't, but it sounded to me as if she were reading the question. Well, if that's the case, people who are analytical and thorough and check everything out like that, those people, even more than the rest of us, 
really have difficulty when they see that things don't match. So she said, he, he gives me information, and then later more details emerge that contradict the initial information that I got. Some of us wouldn't even notice that. Many of us would, but people who are very analytical people not only notice it, it shouts at them like, wait a minute, this and this don't match each other. Now, that's not saying that's bad. That's not, I'm not saying that at all. That's wonderful. That's who you are. Be who you are. But it does make it a little bit more difficult because of the fact that you're going to be almost hypersensitive to whatever he says to see if it makes sense or not. And understand that any human being, whoever he or she may be, occasionally eh, they're going to say something a little bit confusing. Or this is not going to match that. Now, that doesn't mean he's not lying to you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be careful that as you analyze this, that you don't overthink it or overanalyze it. So now back to her question. I'm with a man that lies to me. So Mm -hmm. how would we answer her basic question there? Well, her basic question at the end was, how can I trust him when I know he is lying? I mean, my first response to that is, You've got to confront him about the lying. Yes, I would agree. But now if she if, if I'm if I'm guessing correctly and she's this very analytical person, which is fine. I, please don't give that as a negative at all. That's great. But if indeed she's a very analytical person, then the odds are that the person she's married to is not. Because people who are very analytical sometimes marry people who are very analytical. Sometimes they do. But it's more common that people who are very analytical marry somebody who is a little bit flighty almost. In other words, they tend to be more spontaneous, like uh, rather than planning things out, thinking things through, they kind of go with the flow of the moment. And so when an analytical person approaches, and if, if I'm guessing correctly, and of course I'm guessing about her husband, I don't know, but if I'm guessing correctly, and why is that so funny? <laughs> <laughs> we're guessing we're, we're going to see if it works, but I have a question or I have an example for this when we're done. <laughs> All right. So if indeed, if indeed he's that person that's more spontaneous and not quite as logical and analytical, then if you confront him, be careful how you do that, because those people also have a tremendous need to be liked to be admired, etc. And if you come across as like the school principal or like the, the, the district attorney or, or that kind of thing, then if you actually confront them with those things, then in all likelihood, their reaction is going to be extremely defensive. So therefore, we do think I'm agreeing with Kimberly. I think the best thing you do is you do approach him. Okay, this is wrong. But understand that if his personality is different than yours. Now, if he's just as analytical and logical as you, Use graphs, charts, PowerPoints. It's, it's fine. It will work. But if he's that opposite personality to you, then I'm strongly suggesting that you be very careful how you confront it. Confront it, yes. Don't dodge it, no. But as you do it, try to understand that you need to try to hear his emotions and not just his logic. Because if he's the person I'm guessing him to be, then his emotions often overrule his logic. So try to approach him trying to understand what he fields as opposed to the logic of what he says or does. And then sometimes people like that, because they have such a great need to be liked, will lie. But it's not because they're trying to get away with something. Now, it could be your husband may be trying to get away with something. I'm not saying that's not the case. But people like I'm describing, typically when they lie, it's not because they're trying to get away with something. They just don't want you to be upset with them. They don't want you to be angry with them. They want you to like them. 
Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they'll fudge the truth trying to make that happen. If the two of you can communicate where that you truly try to understand his emotions and he tries to understand your logic, then you can say to him things like, if I come across like I'm not liking you or caring about you, just let me know so I can change the, the tenor of my approach. But I really need this. And then let him tell you what he really needs. And and through these two different personalities, you can finally get him to the point where he can be safe in telling the truth. Now, you've got an illustration, and I've got an illustration. What's the, what's the illustration you were thinking of when I was talking and you got you thought it was funny? So what were you thinking? <laughs> so I, well, first, to reiterate here, because a key point you just said I don't want people to miss is that people don't always lie because they're bad people. Right. People have different reasons and motivations behind lying, one of which could be, they don't want you to be upset with them. Mm-hmm. They want to be liked. They don't want to make you mad. And that is way different than someone who's lying to be deceitful or hurtful or harmful. So both of them are lies, but the, the reasons behind it make it two very different situations. And so I am reminded of a friend that I, a couple of years ago, where she was that very analytical, detailed, everything has to be logical, makes sense. And her husband was very much the... Everyone love me, flighty, uh, uh, disorganized. Sense of being irresponsible, we just mean more spontaneous. More spontaneous, right. yes, uh, exactly. And so, but he would. I mean, he would forget to do things like pay the bills, <laughs> and then she would have proof that he didn't, even though he had said he did. Yeah. And it became a huge problem for them because he, she would say, "I don't understand." But one of the reasons was because when she would approach him, it was, it was like, it, it, you know, it was like she was the drill sergeant or like she was his parent and he didn't like the way that that felt. And so it, it never really helped it when in actuality, she probably should have just paid the bills because he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting it done. Give him something that's better for him to do. But I do, I do think that when we are approaching it. We need to understand how are we coming across? What is it that the other person may see this as? Because we want the best possible outcome. Yeah. And by the way, we're not trying to justify anybody lying either. And and, and don't please don't hear it as, oh, you're telling me it's my fault that my husband doesn't always tell me the truth. We're really not saying that at all. What we're trying to say is try to understand each other. And and if you don't bring up the things, if you don't talk about them, then then you can't expect them to get any better. Kimberly, your illustration actually was better than mine. So I'm just going to leave mine off there. But you understand that, yes, do confront the lies, but but think about the other person's personality when you do. And uh, um, it won't give you a tremendous amount of help. But if you want to get my book on Amazon called The Art of Falling in Love, uh, <laughs> and if you're thinking, oh, here's the pitch, he's going to get rich. Yeah. Uh, if you buy that book off Amazon, I make about a dollar. So please do, because I'm just, you know, I need another dollar to buy my yacht. <laughs> but if you get that book, uh, The Art of Falling in Love by Dr. Joe Beam on Amazon, there's actually a chapter, just one chapter about those personalities. So it won't give you all the information you want, but it can help you understand this a little bit there and, and maybe get a little better at understanding this. So we're not justifying him. We're not condemning you. We're saying that as you confront it, there's an art to doing this based on understanding who each of you is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's see if we can get another call in before we run out of time here. 
my question is, if you know that your husband is lying about at least a couple of things, and it's not the right time to bring those up, how can you believe other things that he tells you? You know, when people say it's not the right time to bring it up, we hear that a lot. And sometimes, Kimberly, what that means is the way I found out is through a way that would cause problems if he or she knew that I knew. For example, we know that sometimes people will hide a GPS in their spouse's car or they'll find some way to track their phone or some way to uh, crack their email, something. And they do it surreptitiously and so that, uh, that the other person doesn't know that they're doing that. And then finally, they have information. But the only way they can reveal that information is to let them know, you know, I did something that's really going to make you angry because of the fact that I sneaked in here or I did that. That's one. Or sometimes they get it from another person who just swears them to secrecy. Like, let me tell you what your husband's doing, but I'm supposed to be his best friend. You can you have to promise me that you'll never tell him that I'm the one who told you this. Well, in those situations, we have some recommendations. Number one, if somebody says, I'm going to tell you something, but you have to promise you can't tell anybody else. I would recommend always your decision. I would recommend you say, I can't make that promise. Once I get the information, I can decide what I can and can't do with it, but I can't make that promise up front. Now, I know what you're going to be thinking, but my curiosity is going to be bursting. (laughs) And they're going to say, in that case, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to walk away and I'm going to be screaming, tell me, tell me, tell me. But if you lock yourself into a promise that you're not going to fulfill, it can work against you in the long run. Okay. And then people ask us, well, what do you think about me? You know, putting a a thing in the car, a CBS in the car to find out where he or she is. What do you think about this, that, and the other? And our recommendation is if you want to do that, you certainly can, but be prepared for divorce. Because our experience has been the following, that when people discover that that's how you found out, their response isn't about their behavior. It's about how dare you violate my privacy. Now, have you ever seen it work the other way where the privacy was violated and the other person like, oh, I've caught, I need to straighten up, we got to do right? Yes, I've actually seen that happen. But that's relatively rare. Much more commonly is when the other person will say, how dare you? So, Kimberly, it could be that it's one of these two things. That it's like the way I found out or the person who told me, you know, if I have to reveal that, it's going to be bad. And then there's a third one. Sometimes people don't want to bring things up because of where they are at a particular time. Like if I confront you about your doing this, you're going to mention about my doing that. And because I don't want to deal with that right now, it's not the appropriate time to bring this up because I know it's not going to be just about your behavior. It's going to be about my behavior as well. Now, there's probably a lot more, but those are three that come to mind immediately. Or they're conflict avoidant. (laughs) Conflict avoidant. So what would you recommend to a person such as she? Well, you know, her question at the end was, so how can I trust anything else that he says or does right now? To which, without knowing specifics, I think it makes it a little harder to to answer the question, but I think the premises are going to be the same. Does it matter? I mean, if you know he's lying about these other things, what does it matter if you can't trust him on on the others? Because you already know there's an issue that has to be dealt with. And so when you say, what does it matter? Are you saying the fact that until you deal with this, you can't deal with anything else? Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying something else? 
I believe it has to be dealt with. I don't, I don't think that you're going to be able to find some magic solution that means that you don't ever address the issues of lying or, or the lies that you found out or whatever they are. The things you know he's not being truthful about right now mm-hmm. will have to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Does it mean you have to do it right now? I just feel like you have to address it. And the sooner, the better. And I would try to figure out every way possible to do that first. Okay. Because what I hear you saying is, if you don't trust him on those things, why are you going to trust him on anything else anyway? Exactly. Resolve those things while we right. do anything else. So our right. recommendation would be approach it. Now you say, but wait a minute, Dr. Beam. Um, you just mentioned that, you know, I did find out by sneaking or I did find out from his best friend who swore me to secrecy. What do I do? Well, the best friend thing, if it were I, I'd go to the best friend and say, Mm-hmm. I've got to do this. Uh, exactly. If you've got me, if you've got some other way that you can get me that same information so that your name doesn't come up, I'm happy to have it, but I have to deal with this. If it was you sneaking, you may just have to deal with that where you go to the person and say, I first need to tell you that I know I was wrong to do what I did because I violated your privacy. In other words, start off with some vulnerability on your own and then rather than attacking, but you don't do that. I found out and I shouldn't have done it the way I did. May I tell you how hurt I am by what I found out? Because if you talk in terms of what you feel rather than in terms of what he did, you have a greater likelihood of his answering non-emotionally. Well, that's not the wrong word. Defensively. That's the word I'm looking for. You've got a better chance for him to answer non-defensively if you if you uh, phrase it in the for, uh, form of Rather than let me attack what you did, let me tell you how you how I feel. I found out that you lied to me about this. I'm hurt deeply, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're saying, bottom line is, you, if you ignore that, then there is no way to trust him on the other things. Mm-mm. If you know a person's lying and you ignore that, unless it's something so minor, so minor, that it has no consequence or significance at all. But that's not the case with you. Because you've already brought it up. How can I? Right? Right. And so to spend the time and energy to worry about the other things, I'm not saying it's wasted, but you're not getting to the core. Let's try one more question. We're really out of time, but let's see if we can get one more worked in here if we can. Hi, I have been married uh, for 12 years. And in the past 12 years, my husband has cheated about six or seven times uh, during our marriage. And every time I caught him, he apologized. He's remorseful. We've gone to counseling. And how do I know if he's truly remorseful or if he's just lying to get back in my good graces? I want to work it out again. And is there a limit of when I stop trying? Um, We have a two-year-old together and I would like to keep the family together, but I feel like I'm abandoning myself or disrespecting myself by continuing to try to work it out with him. First of all, I'm so sorry to hear that he's had that many affairs over that many years, because if I kept up with that, it sounded like he had at least on average every two years or so, he had another extramarital affair. If a person's doing that, there's some reason for it. Okay, and I'm not saying the reason is you. Please don't think that at all. We're not saying it's you, but there's something motivating that either either he has a 
great big problem with commitment. It just doesn't what he wants to do. That's one possibility. Or he has some kind of a sex drive that's leading him to do inappropriate sex things. In other words, uh, one person is not enough for me. Therefore, here's another person that lasts for a little while. Here's another person. Because if he's having an affair every two years or so, it probably is primarily sexual. Although there is a third possibility. There's a thing we talk about called limerence, and you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash marriage helper, and look for the ones about limerence, those kinds of things. And, and limerence has to do with this extremely strong emotional connection with another person. Typically, there is not a lot of replication of that. What I mean is you don't typically have a person going from one limerent affair to the next to the next every two years, but sometimes you do. And if you find a person like that, it's because of the fact that they have gotten themselves not addicted to the sex. They've gotten themselves addicted to the emotional high. But a man having an affair every two years or so is certainly doing some kind of compulsive behavior. Either it's compulsive tied to the sex or it's compulsive tied to emotional highs. But either way, there's something driving that. Okay. Now, I'm not telling you anything to make you feel worse. I don't think I could make you feel worse than you feel already. And I'm certainly not trying to take hope away from you. I'm not. But she asked the question, Kimberly. She said, you know, do I have a limit? Mm-hmm. Well, she does, doesn't she? But it, she does. It's her choice. Talk about that for a second, if you will. And it should be her choice. So, yes, there is a limit to what any human being can take when it comes to just the emotional turmoil the back and forth of is, is he staying? Is he going? What's happening with our relationship? And so the way that we explain this to people and helping them identify what their own limit is, is how it affects them with their, we use the pies as an example of this. Um, So how does it affect them physically, intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually? Physically, if you can't handle what's happening anymore, the back and forth that's going on, you're not eating or you're overeating, you're not sleeping, or you've gone into a deep depression, then it's affecting you physically in such a way that you need to consider if this is something you can continue handling. And that's a huge one of it. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, I mean, all of those things you have to decide. And it's okay for you to then set stops. And we talk about that more in a past podcast episode that we uh, talked about stops. You can search our website as well for for more about stops. So it's our term for our term for boundaries, but it is okay to set boundaries for yourself and say, this can't continue happening. And here are the things that need to happen in order for us to move forward. If we're going to move forward with this relationship, which we call continuing our relationship essentials course. And so you can set your stops and then set your course in order for you two to move forward, but no one should have to live with a husband having an affair every two years. No, no, no. If you still love him and if you think, if he's telling you and if you believe him that he really is trying to stop that, he really wants to put the marriage back together and you love him and you want to do that, then I would strongly recommend that you get him involved in Sexaholics Anonymous. That's S-A for short. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for people who have compulsive sexual behavior. Now, uh, am I saying he's a sex addict? I'm a sexologist. We typically don't use the phrase sex addict. Counselors and therapists do. We don't. And, and there's a website you might want to go to to check out. It's called, uh, if you're religious, go out and check out xxxchurch.com. 
that could be, and it's possible that's xxxchurch.org, but I think it's xxxchurch.com if you're religious. If, if you're, if you are okay with help that's not particularly religious, but it's very good about helping this kind of thing, go to sexhelp.com, S-E-X-H-E-L-P.com. This is a site associated with Patrick Carnes, who is the guy who is the, the grandfather, if you will, of talking about sexual addiction. Now, again, addiction is not what we talk about in sexology. We talk about compulsive sexual behavior. But those sites can help you find some resources that can help you understand what's happening. And if your husband is willing to get the kind of help where he can stop. And so E3SA, which I hear is very good. Uh, I've not been to one to check it out, but I, but I hear SA is very good. Sexologics Anonymous. But on the other hand, the, um, if you go to that, that sexhelp.com, they have a list of counselors and therapists around America that they have certified and trained. And you may want to a husband who's in that kind of situation, having that many affairs that often, you may want to seek that kind of help. Kimberly, you trying to say something? It, you made me remember that, yes, so there's Sexahawks Anonymous, but there is also... Samson Society. I've had Nate Larkin on my podcast as a guest. I would highly recommend going to listen to that. But his website. Yeah, look at the website very quickly. I'll tell you just a bit about Nate while she's doing that so we can give you the. Well, as a matter of fact, we'll have it across the bottom of your screen here. Okay, so that you can see his website. But Nate Larkin is a tremendous human being who has helped a lot of guys get past sex addiction, if you'll let me use that word, compulsive sexual behavior. He has a podcast, and and Kimberly referred to that, uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks. There's also a book by that name, Kimberly, you can get on Amazon, Samson and the Pirate Monks. And we recommend you get Nate's book. We recommend that you look up Nate's website, and we'll have it across the bottom of the screen here for you. And we recommend that you contact them because they're a lot of help. That's a good point, Kimberly. I don't know why I didn't think of Nate. He's a and it's, it's a good one. Yeah, it's samsonsociety.com. So for our listeners, that's S-A-M-S-O-N society.com. And you'll also see that in the show notes. Okay, excellent. But we would recommend that. Okay, Kimberly, at the end of the program, we've gone a little longer than we normally do here. And so you usually do a recap at the end. Can you recap all of this? <laughs> No, but we can we can at least get some of it. So when we're talking about rebuilding trust after affairs, the first thing to remember and realize is that this is not your fault. That's right. Whatever may have happened, if your spouse cheated and or even if you're the one that cheated, don't put all of the blame on yourself. And remember, there is a path and a way to move forward. The second key takeaway is in order to rebuild trust there's got to be relationship and communication. And so you have to either address issues or after addressed issues, you have to actively and proactively work together to bring that accountability into the light and to have really good communication about moving forward. The third key takeaway I have is you also have to start by changing your thoughts and where your mind is going, especially since all of our callers today were women whose husbands had had an affair Mm -hmm. in that situation, start working on yourself. Don't let your mind just wander and worry. What if it happens again? Be proactive about doing something 
about you. Oh, I have nothing bad. I think you did that very, very well. We look forward to your questions and we uh, we try to put them together into themes so we can talk about one theme for the period of time here. And that's what Relationship Radio is all about. So we really want to hear from you. We'd love to hear your questions. And and again, we'll put them together in categories and be doing these things. And so check out the podcast, check out this. And how often is this coming out, Kimberly? I know we record them every every, every- Well, we're recording them more than that, so I didn't know. (laughs) Okay, very good. Thank you. I'm Dr. Joe Beam. Thanking you for being part of Relationship Radio and thanking Kimberly Holmes, our CEO, for making it so interesting and valuable. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. If you have a question you want to ask Dr. Bean and Kimberly Holmes, follow the link to see which topic is currently up for discussion. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses, marriage workshops, and coaching. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio.